Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we are set to reflect into the movie Life is Beautiful. Life is Beautiful, as we have been promising, and I do have Father Mike in studio with me. So, Father Mike, as always, great to have you with me in studio. It's good to be with you, and if I recall, this is your like all-time favorite movie, is that right? This is my all-time favorite movie, and this is why we are talking about it, not because I want to talk about it or necessarily that... Um, I made a point of talking about it on my own, but I, we were asked, right, as we noted a couple weeks ago, hey, what are your favorite movies? Can you talk about them? And so, don't get me wrong, I did jump at the opportunity to talk about uh, this movie, Life is Beautiful. Now, uh, let me me throw a disclaimer out there. Um, I have a lot of favorite movies. Right, I remember that. And and so, uh, as we talked, I think, a couple weeks ago, Father Mike... Uh, I'm a whole craft, and as a whole craft, we tend to categorize a lot of things, and and as we do, we have categorized our favorite movies within certain genres. Right. <laughs> and uh, my top five favorite movies are, are all probably uh, religiously, explicitly religious movies, but Life is Beautiful is certainly up there, and if you have not seen the movie, as I think you'll get a sense by the end of this evening, this is a deeply religious movie. So a movie that we are... Uh, I am definitely looking forward to to talking about it, and I'm sure you as well, huh? Oh, yeah, I should have known, you know, when I turned it on. I said, of course, one of Joe's favorite movies, it was going to be in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should have known. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you got the, the, sub, the subtitles, right? I do recall early on reading that this movie was John Paul II's favorite movie. Mm. Now, as a fan of John Paul II in 1997, right, that got my attention. Oh, yeah. And I was reading that, Roberto Benini, who of course is uh, Guido in the movie, he's also the producer, director, he was a co-screenwriter, I think. Uh, he was in the theater when John Paul II watched his movie, and I thought, gosh, that's something else, huh? Mm. And he said he didn't watch, uh, he didn't so much watch the movie with John Paul II as much as he watched John Paul II watch the movie. Yeah. And one of the things I remember about that is him moaning and groaning. Because, of course, John Paul II lived through the whole World War II experience in a profound way. So that, that groaning yeah. that uh, Roberto Benini was hearing was, I'm sure, him recollecting, remembering, and, of course, him leaving and saying this is one of his favorite movies of all time, if not his favorite movie, was a real sign and, and I think, tell to the world that uh, a movie that has been titled Life is Beautiful is a reminder that even... That which is the ugliest the world has to offer can be transformed into something beautiful. Yeah, and this this speaks to, to again to our whole project of the world stage and the the great need we have to see our experience ourselves portrayed on stage and to mm. be able to assign a positive evaluation mm. Mm. Uh, to be able to uh, see it on the stage so as to reflect on it and to be able to walk away from perhaps the ugliest chapter and say still. Uh, somehow life is beautiful, and to see that worked out in terms of this uh, father-son relationship is something. 
Yeah, and something close to the heart of John Paul too, because remember when he was in the seminary, he was in the underground seminary for right. a reason, because World War II was going on, and as many of our listeners know, Father Mike, John Paul II, uh, he was a poet, he was an artist, he was a playwright. Yeah. One of his famous plays, of course, The Jeweler's Shop, was something that he had co-written during his days in the seminary. It was his way of uh, reminding the Polish people of who they are, mm. that life is beautiful even in the ugliest of contexts. So the movie itself, Life is Beautiful, is, was um, certainly important to John Paul too, for more than one reason. Oh, yeah. And I think that's uh, worth discussing as we are talking about this man who was such a hero to all of us. Now, uh, as far as the, the, the movie itself goes, again, Roberto Benini uh, plays Guido, uh, Father Mike, this gentle Jewish Italian waiter. Uh, he meets his love, Dora, this pretty school teacher, right? And ultimately, he, he wins her over with his charm, with, with his humor. And here, I really, really encourage the watch in this movie of Father Mike because there's just some uh, real ingenuity in this script, the wit. I, I just yeah. love some of the scenes in it. Uh, and the acting's so good. You know, you, you just see him winning her over with his charm and, and with his wit. So eventually, they marry. They have a son, uh, Joshua. And uh, they have an ideal life in the 1930s, in the early 1930s Italy. But of course, their happiness is abruptly halted when Guido and uh, Joshua are separated from Dora and taken to a concentration camp. And really, the film's, I think, real genius, Father Mike, is found in the way Guido shelters her son from his son from the horrors of his surroundings, this concentration camp, by convincing Joshua that their time in the camp is merely a game. This game to win this big tank, you know, yeah. as as the movie plays out. And I just, the whole idea of transforming, again, that which is so ugly into a game really had my attention. If you were to go into the chat rooms on this movie, if there was a common critique, and I thought this just to be so fascinating, is that this movie was nothing more but a parable of denial. Mm -hmm. A parable of denial to what was actually going on in the concentration camp, and I'm not going to lie to you, I stood up and took issue with that. Yeah, a as a father. Right? Yeah, you know, and it's. I think this. It's this opens up an important conversation, and that is going back to John Paul II. Um, this is a man who can watch that movie and critique it from inside of the experience. Amen. Versus Amen. versus uh, from an uninvolved position, out of a sense of ideology. Critique it having not, not stood in those in those shoes uh, the way John Paul in his own way did. Um, it seems to me that uh, you know, and we can get into a, a big discussion about a father's heart. Mm. You know, you being mm. a father yourself, but I mean, a father would do everything he could to uh, to try to make that experience livable for his son. You know, like how how could one um, critique it? I I had shared with you that there's a great book, a famous famous book by Viktor Frankl. Mm. Who had to live through the, uh, been in a camp like that, and and kind of worked out how, how did uh, he made observations? How do people survive? The people who made it were the ones who were able to assign a positive experience, uh, positive meaning to their yeah. life experience. Yeah, uh, is that denial in this? Well, uh, to a certain degree, uh, whenever a parent tells their frightened child you're going to be okay, is that mm -hmm. denial? Mm -hmm. uh, not not in the kind of clinical psychological sense that we're talking about denial. Uh, who who would not? Uh, what father yeah. would not? Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, we talk about the flight or fight instinct. He takes the fight and he transforms it into something beautiful. Not to right. overuse the word, but you know, as a father, I watched this movie and I found myself in tears on more than one occasion. Mm. What's, what's interesting about this, Father Mike, is that I first watched this when I was in Steubenville. Mm. And uh, it certainly was a tearjerker, you know, yeah. especially at the end of the game. You know, when Josh was there, you know, we won, we won as he sees the tank. Um, but let me tell you something. Watching this a second, third, fourth time after, you know, having two, three, four kids, it just took on a whole new meaning. Mm. And it was me entering into uh, the movie in a whole new way as I was stepping into the shoes of this yeah. Guido and asking myself the question, honestly, could I do what this man is doing? Could I be so open and so oriented towards my son that I would do anything and everything to make sure that uh, this wasn't going to take away from who he is as a kid. Preserving innocence. That was yeah. one of the phrases that kind of came to mind. He was preserving his innocence. Yeah, that's and you, you hit on that kind of uh, play on words, uh, the parable of denial versus a parable of denial of self. Yes, yes. I mean, and I, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, how would you, you know, you, you are a father and you are hitting on that sense of this is a story of denial of self. How would you... Joe respond to a criticism like that. I think you just said it, really, that, yeah, it is a parable of denial to the degree that we are talking about not some psychological definition, but a denial of self. Mm. And, and, and let me say this, as a father, certainly it has just become second nature to deny what I want for the sake of my kids. But there are times where, Father Mike, uh, I come across a situation where, man, Joe wants what Joe wants, and can't Joe get what he wants one time? <laughs> you yeah. know? But God says, um, not right now. Hmm. Not right now. He, this call to deny self is perpetual, and this movie draws that out. There could have been plenty of times for Guido to say, you want to know what? It's a time for me to grieve. And they do highlight that when he's away from Joshua, he's very reflective into his life um, and, and into what Dora is experiencing. But even then, he's He's thinking about other. It was a reminder uh, that, you know what, we are called as, as Christians and as fathers to just acquire that disposition towards other all mm. the time, mm. uh, because certainly this was something that had, had invaded the soul of this character, Guido. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, um, I think so. And I think that, uh, you know, somewhere in, inside that accusation is that this uh, denial kind of distorts reality. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. one of the things that comes to the fore to me is, you know, that kind of the deepest, truest reality there is, is how we live our life inside of our relationships. Mm. Uh, e- even when set against a, a terrible backdrop, that's that's certainly not to do away with our social responsibility and dealing with the evils in the world. But I mean, this was a man who decided that he was going to um, be father and be father in the best way possible for his son, regardless of this setting, that he, he didn't lose that... Um, that freedom, I guess, for a relationship. So as we're talking about this, Father Mike, I think there's a key scene to draw. Well, there's a lot of key scenes to talk about, but one um, specifically for me, and it's when Guido goes to work for his uncle, Alessio. Hmm. Uh, he's being trained as a waiter. And so Alessio says, okay, come over here. Let's just kind of go through a scenario. And uh, Guido goes to serve Alessio. And he says, he asked the question, that is Guido, how far do I bow? I suppose I can even go 180 degrees, and he's going down, down, and mm. he's, he's, he's being playful with it. 
And Eliseo says, ah, ah, no, no. Think of a sunflower. They bow to the sun. But if you see some that are bowed too far down, it means they're dead. You're here serving. You're not a servant. Mm. Serving is the supreme art. God is the first of servants. God serves men, but he's not a servant to men. And I love that in that he highlights serving being the supreme art. The physical image that really caught my attention, Father Mike, was if you bow too far down, you're not looking at the one who you are serving. Mm. And looking at the one who you are serving is what defines service as an art. Yeah. Right? Being present to other, being able to really respond to their needs because you are just not listening to them, but you're also looking at them, looking into their eyes. You know, what is it that you're you're actually asking me? You want this, you want that. Okay, because I'm listening to you, because I'm looking at you, I know now how to serve you best. I like the distinction that he makes between you are serving, but you're not a servant. Yes. You know, like that, yes. that this sense of uh, dignity and not letting tr- people treat you like less than you are. Mm. There was, uh, I don't know who said it now, uh, I was reading this oh some years ago talking about um, the art of life. And he says, you know, that just because that everybody lives doesn't mean that everyone's an expert at living. <laughs> you mm, know what I mean? Mm. That that to live is an art. Yeah. There's yeah. an art to life mm. and uh, that has to be learned and it has to be practiced mm. and perfected. Mm. And so um, I say that in response to your discussion of, um, you know, art and, and the beauty as it relates to to the way we're living. Yeah. And this is what uh, is attractive, right? This is what, uh, you know, we talk about uh, life is beautiful. Well, what is beautiful is attractive. It, um, it pulls us in. Even the word, uh, the Latin word for attractive, attractus, to pull in, to draw in, to absorb. You know, this brings us back to, to the discussion, Father Mike, of the transcendentals, you know, truth, beauty, and goodness, that we do put beauty out in front, as we have talked about in great detail, but it's to also remember that goodness itself is beauty. And that goodness itself, as we relate it to service and charity, is what is attractive. Yeah. Um, and again, what is attractive is beautiful. And what's so important as you pull out the word dignity is that in this movie, that becomes a reoccurring theme. Mm. That really, this movie, you could say, is not so much a parable of denial, but a parable of the dignity of the human person. Yeah. Because yeah. all throughout, if there is a golden thread in this movie, it is the goodness that can only be best understood within the backdrop of all the ugliness. Oh yeah, and see. to take and to take that kind of parabolic uh, statement about the flower, even when the human person is made to bow down, it doesn't become a servant or it doesn't become less, you know? That's what's being drawn out in, in this whole time at the concentration camp. Right. And that's what makes this movie... So beautiful, <laughs> right? So striking, so attractive. So I think, far from being a parable of denial, this is a celebration of the fact that you can bend me over, but you've not robbed me of the dignity or the beauty of my life. Amen to that. I love the scene, Father Mike, where the German officer he comes in into the barrack where Joshua and Guido are at. They're now in the concentration camp, and maybe it's Auschwitz. We don't know, but he comes into the barrack. And uh, this German officer is carrying on in, in German. And Guido asks another prisoner, what, what is he saying? What is he wanting? And he says, oh, he wants someone who knows German. And uh, Guido looks at him and he thinks for a second. He pauses and he says, oh, okay. And he steps forward and he, he says, oh, you, you know German? He says, no. And everyone's looking around. What is he doing? 
And so then he goes side by side to this German officer. And this German officer is carrying on. Yeah. He's emotional. He's pointing over there and he's pointing over here. And he's translating everything that he's saying and pausing it as a game for Joshua. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it starts off with him saying, you know, you, the bathroom is over there. You need to be here at a certain time. And, and he's saying, okay, for starters, the winner of this game is going to get a tank. You know, yeah, <laughs> and it kind yeah, of goes yeah. on from there. And it's just a beautiful scene where Joshua, that the six-year-old Joshua is responding to his father with such joyful emotion that now he's part of a game. And again, the setting is this concentration camp, right? Yeah. But his, his father has already set up the last 45 minutes, if you will, of this movie into something that becomes all the more engaging. Like, what is he going to do? How is he going to uh, transform this experience to be something that it's not? Because all we know is, well, it's a concentration camp. It's, it's, it's horrific. As the movie ensues, he takes uh, each and every experience and he kind of transforms it into something that Joshua can kind of lean into. Although Joshua, at different points, he he kind of looks around him and he sees the suffering. He begins to challenge his dad and mm. his dad is persistent. You know, Guido is persistent. At one point, Joshua says, um, dad, they, they turn us into uh, bars of soap. Guido looks at Joshua and says, oh no, you know, this button doesn't turn into soap. No, that's impossible. And he, he just, without hesitation, and I love that part of the movie, without hesitation. And so we just kind of follow the ingenuity of the script and and how he goes about presenting the game. And then, of course, in the end, Father Mike, and I just love it, right? Italy is liberated. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the people are freed. And as they are now outside the concentration camp, as they are outside the concentration camp, this tank comes over. Mm-hmm. And Joshua sees the tank, and he finds his mom, Dora, and he says, we won, we won. And that's that's like, you know, at this point, I'm an emotional wreck. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because yeah. His, his father was right. They won the tank. But without his sacrifice, you know? yeah, it's it, the overwhelming uh, just thread here of a, the the father's heroic desire to protect and do good to his son yeah. is really something. I, I read uh, in a in a magazine uh, last week uh, kind of a cool story of kind of a parable uh, about Itzhak Perlman, who was like a vir- violin virtuoso, like mm. number one in the world, and he was doing a concert I think in two thousand eight with the pianist, and he sat down to play, and he on his violin, and one of the strings in the middle of a piece just snapped. And, and everybody heard it. Mm. And they're like, what's he going to do? He just broke his violin type of deal. And he said that he sat on the stage for a minute, nodded to the pianist, and he started playing again with the three strings, and he was transposing the piece as he played to uh. accommodate for the lack of string. I mean, incredible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he says after after the piece was over, standing ovation, and he, he sat on the stage and said, and for, for a moment, and he said, you know, sometimes it is the work of the artist to make music out of whatever you have left. Mm. And I mm. thought that that's such a cool... That's a beautiful line. You know yeah, that some... a beautiful line. You have to make music out of what you've got left. And, and you really see that, I think, in this, uh, this effort to make music out of something broken. Yeah. Literally, to transpose something is to take the notes as you read them and give them back in a different key. Yeah. Amen. And so we have this movie where we are made to critically reflect into that point. Thank you, Roberto Benini, for inviting me into this reality that is before me, let's be honest, each and every day. Really, for all of us, we are presented with situations that are not ideal. But these situations, let's call them challenges, are opportunities. Opportunities. One of my favorite spiritual authors, he says, whatever we don't transform in life, we simply retransmit. 
you know, and so if we if we're in a really ugly situation and we're not transposing it and uh, singing that story back in a different key, we're just rebroadcasting what was nastiness and ugliness in the first place. Um, that doesn't strike me as denial as much as transposition. And here I am made to just appreciate more than anything else the pontificate of Pope John Paul II because his whole life was was one of transposition, if you will, as you speak to it, Father Mike. A man that had every reason to grumble at, at the cards he had been dealt, and yet he takes all of those situations in his life, many situations that were around him during the time of World War II, and he transposed them. And, and I think a point we really have to highlight is that when we do transpose a particular situation, it becomes an inspiration for other people. So many Catholics love St. John Paul II because of the inspiration that he was. And as you dig deeper into his life, you see that, yeah, he was a man who had to overcome so much. And to talk about the overcoming into the context of transposition really is uh, an inspiration for all of us to become saints here on earth, saints of transposition. Um, I just turned 43. You're what, 29? <laughs> <laughs> 34. 34. Uh, by the grace of God, we have you know lives before us, and uh, hopefully we will look back on the moments that are before us each and every day and say, you want to know what? Thank you, Lord, for having me pass through this because I'm more of a human being because of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, because you showed me what it means to be fully human in the darkest hour. And, and I think we, we have to draw from that truth hmm. uh, because there is a reason why we say the darkest hour is yet Good Friday because it was a beautiful day in the end, the most beautiful day in yeah. the end, as it was a day that redefined what it means to, to be at the service of others. You know, and to kick this back to Von Balthasar as we conclude, he makes the distinction between beauty and that which is pretty. Because in that which is pretty is absent, uh, lacking darkness and pain and whatnot. He says, but beautiful is not like that. That which is beautiful can embrace darkness and, and pain and all those kind of things. So that, that distinction between beautiful, uh, the beautiful and uh, prettiness Mm. Uh, we like prettiness. Mm. Everything's clean, it's perfect, it's without pain. But for von Balthasar to say that life is beautiful uh, does not exclude the possibility of darkness and pain. Yeah, it's really interesting, Father Mike, that you bring up the word pretty, because if you were to go back into the movie itself, especially in the beginning of the movie, what word is being underscored but the word pretty? You have this pretty young school teacher in Dora. And once you introduce the Holocaust into this story what is pretty, now enters its own transformation. In the words of Von Balthasar, certainly we could say a transformation into something beautiful. Even if it is ugly, that which is ugly can be transformed into something beautiful. I really think that's um, an important point as you uh, kick this back to Von Balthasar, because it does highlight how we think about, well, what is pretty, what is cute, and ultimately what is truly beautiful. And we are to be reminded that uh, for all of this, <laughs> Satan does not get the last word. Evil is evil, but we have the ability in our cooperation with God's grace to remind the world that Jesus has spoken the last word, and that last word is definitive. It's absolute. And oh, by the way, that definitive and absolute word is also beautiful because it is love par excellence. Amen? Amen. All right, Father Mike, can you uh, close us with a word of prayer? 
Father, you are the promise of life, uh, even in the face of death and of light, even in the midst of our darkness, we ask for your blessing. You who are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again, Father. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.